Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, the PGA Tour Superstore, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Two Under, Ben Hogan Golf, Golf Pride, Srixon and their Z-Star Golf Balls, and the Sandiston Resort. Now here is your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to this week's edition of Next on the Tee. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and I thank you so much for joining me again tonight. I've got three more wonderful guests that I'm looking forward to sharing with you. First up tonight is going to be a legend in the World Long Driving Competitions because she's regularly at the top of the podium, and that's Lisa Longball Bluswick. Lisa is an eight-time Canadian Long Drive champion. She's the first woman to hit a drive over 350 yards in competition. Tonight, I want to talk with Lisa about her recent experience in the, in the World Long Driving Championships. also want to get some playing lessons from her, right? How to hit the ball longer and better, including proper ball position up and down our bag, right? Where does that ball position go in, that, in our different stances? I want to talk about building a good foundation with our feet and our legs. And I'll, I want to get her perspective on, for us weekend golfers, what's costing us distance? When she's playing in, in pro-ams, what does she notice? Is there something consistently that we're doing that we may not even know about that's costing us distance? Find out from Lisa. I'm excited to have her back with me. She's going to join me here in just a few minutes. Following her, I'm going to get a return visit from another wonderful friend, and that's Dr. Bob Jones IV. Doc is the grandson of Bobby Jones. Tonight, we're going to focus our conversation, though, on what it was like growing up under the spotlight of being the grandson of a legend. What was the weight of that like growing up? Because, unfortunately, Bobby Jones died uh, very early on in Doc's life, and his father passed away just almost two years to the day later. So what was that like? What was it like carrying that, you know, that legacy and, and being the grandson of Bobby Jones and sort of having the weight of expectation on you from the time you were very young as a teenager going forward. So we'll talk in depth tonight about what that was like for Doc. He'll join me a little bit later on in this half hour. Then I'll round out tonight's show with our resident head golf pro, Tom Patry. Tonight, TP and I will talk about how much our hands need to be involved in the golf swing. Are we not handsy enough? Are we too handsy? And then in honor of having Doc on the show, I want to talk about some of those old Bobby Jones playing lessons. TP posted a chipping lesson that Bobby Jones did back in the day. Does that still hold up today? We'll talk about that and a whole lot more when TP joins me about 45 minutes from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories and playing lessons coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. And as you guys always know, I like to remind you about the great shows that Mitch and Matthew Lawrence both have. Mitch's show is called Talking Golf Getaways, and you can stream it online at GolfTripX.com, and that's the letter X, so GolfTripX.com. It's also available on podcasting sites like Audioboom, Stitcher, and Player.fm. Mitch and his co-host, Darren Bunch, they let you know about great places to go stay, play, and even eat and drink around the country, including some of the hidden gem courses you may not be aware of. Go check out their show online at GolfTripX.com. Matthew's show is called Backspin Golf, and it airs Sunday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time on WLXG ESPN Radio AM 1300 up in Lexington, Kentucky. You can stream it online by going to WLXG.com or do what I did, which is download the WLXG app. Stream it right there on your smartphone. 
Matthew always makes the show so much fun to listen to. Plus, you get a lot of great golfing content on top of that. It's a great way to kick off your Sunday mornings. Again, it's called Backspin Golf, and you can stream it online at WLXG.com or on the WLXG app. And as you guys know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's take a listen to Steve Rondonero. He'll tell us what's going on up there. It's a Pete Dye masterpiece, the Pete Dye course at French Lick Resort. Pete says its location on one of the highest points in Indiana makes it special. The long views, you can see many 20 and 30 miles from many of the fairways and many of the tees and greens, and, and you can see it in 360 degrees. Donald Ross's hill course put French Lick on the golf map more than 100 years ago. It's where Walter Hagen won the 1924 PGA Championship and the place where today's Symmetra Tour ladies battle each year. It's the ambience around it that makes the golf course. Combine our many resort amenities with legendary golf, and you have a getaway like no other. French Lick Resort is the home of the Senior LPGA Championship, won in 2018 by World Golf Hall of Famer Laura Davies. Play the course's champions play. Plan your trip now, online at FrenchLick.com. Yeah, folks, see for yourself what a beautiful place they have up there. And check out the two outstanding golf courses as well. And, and folks, oh, by the way, they've got a casino right there on the property for you as well. Go online to FrenchLake.com to see for yourself and to book your reservations. And, well, folks, TaylorMade Golf has done it again. The TaylorMade M5 and M6 drivers are a tremendous story. They both feature speed-injected twist face. Created through a revolutionary manufacturing process where every single head, and folks, I do mean it, every single head is injected and calibrated to the threshold of the legal limit. So basically, every head is made to be tour spicy. So speed for all of us. Check it out online by going to tailormadegolf.com. And to play a better ball with ultimate spin and stopping power, you need a physics-defying cover with molecular bonds that stretch but don't break. To play a ball that goes far and feels soft, you need a fast layer core with incredible feel and maximum distance. They're only in the new Z-Star and Z-Star XV golf balls, and they're only from Strixon. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to bobbyjones.com. They've got their new fall collection out now, and you're going to see Steve Stricker, Miguel Angel Jimenez, and Ernie Els wearing it out on the Champions Tour. Check it out for yourself by going to bobbyjones.com and enter the coupon code NEXT on the T to save 10% at checkout. All right, now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Lisa Longball Blueswick. Lisa is an eight-time Canadian long drive champion. She's a 15-time world long drive finalist. She's the first woman to drive the golf ball over 350 yards in competition. She's also a great keynote speaker and a golf entertainer. You can find her sharing her tips in magazines like this month's edition of Golf Tips Magazine, which I've got right here in my hand. And I'm very excited to have her back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Lisa, thanks for coming back on the show. Hello, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I appreciate you. So, Lisa, it's been a minute since we got to have you as part of the show. I know you've got such a busy schedule all the time. Catch us up. What's been going on with you this summer? 
Oh my goodness, it's been a crazy summer. So I've been uh, traveling a lot all across North America. Uh, I do corporate and charity golf tournaments, so it's been really fun to be able to go uh, around North America raising money for spectacular charities. Um, I'm also sponsored by uh, Golf Town, which is like your uh, PGA Superstores or your Golf Galaxies, uh, in which uh, they want me to come to all 47 stores across Canada, and I'm teaching ladies-only clinics. And so it's encouraging to get women into the game, um, you know, make it a family sport, uh, get more ladies involved in corporate and charity golf tournaments, and uh, and then also training, getting ready for the uh, World Long Drive Championships. So Lisa, I know, you know, you've got, you talk about the golf clinics that you do. I know you've got one coming up this weekend in Toronto, plus you're doing some more things around the country here in the U.S. and Orlando and Phoenix. Talk about what you've got going on and when people can come out, check out what you're doing, and then uh, get more information about how to how to do it where and when. Oh, well, I'm just absolutely thrilled. This is about my fifth year year that I've been doing uh, women's golf schools uh, in the United States. Uh, I added Orlando last year to my itinerary, and uh, it went really, really well. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. And my Phoenix school sold out last year, so I had to add another date. So I'm going to be doing three-day golf schools where we cover all aspects of the game, chipping, pitching, putting, uh, you know, full swing, how to hit every club in your uh, bag longer, but also on-course playing lessons. So it's a spectacular three days with, you know, breakfasts, lunches, dinners, there may be wine, Chris, uh, you know, that always helps with the swing lube, right? And, uh, and yeah. you know, we just have such fun. So, yeah, so I'll be coming to Orlando uh, February 20th to 23rd and uh, to Phoenix March 6th to 9th and March 12th to 15th. And so a lot of my girls who love baseball will also come and catch some spring training games down there as well. Fantastic. So for, for our listeners that say, all right, I want to book my calendar and come down and check it out. How can they get more information? Where can they find out all of that sort of thing? Oh, they, they can go to my website, which is lisalongball.com, and there's a golf schools tab, and if they click on that, all the information is there, and if they have any questions, they're welcome to reach out. So, Lisa, I, I got to get your thoughts. When you're doing a clinic, you know, and, and I know a lot of the clinics are, are for women, but when you've got one that's going on that maybe both genders are involved with, do the, do the questions that people ask you, are, are the questions that men ask you the same as what women ask you, or are the genders different in what they want to know? They're a little bit different because I, I've also done clinics on both the PGA Tour and Champions Tour where I've come out in front of hundreds of people and, uh, you know, mostly male-dominated at those clinics. And I would say my issues with the women, women often are always looking for distance. I find that 80% of women can't hit it over 200 yards. So a lot of women say, geez, you know, how, how can you help me add distance to my game? With my guys, it's actually how to keep it in the fairway. So my guys can get the distance, but they struggle with either slicing or pulling the ball or hooking it. And uh, they want to know, well, geez, what are the fixes? So to that end, and that's, that's something, as you know, Tom Patrick is going to join me a little bit later on in the show. At yeah, Tom's and, the best. You know, wanted me, yeah, he wanted me to pass along his, uh, wanted to say hello to you. But one of the things I'm going to talk to TP about is that very thing for, you know, uh, to your point, we tend to slice, we, and I think just in yep. general, weekend golfers tend to slice the ball Absolutely. off the tee. So, so we're losing distance and we're losing strokes because we're trying to find it in the woods all the time. So w yep. when you're giving that advice, what are some of the things that you notice that we weekend golfers do that cause us to lose distance and lose the golf ball? 
Well, for the slice, and I, I, I agree, that's the number one concern for most amateur golfers where I see most of their misses. And I find that there's two things that I see quite prevalently as I go to all across North America, as I said, and, and to these clinics and get to see people. And number one is a simple that could literally fix you in 10 seconds, and that is grip pressure. On a scale of 1 to 10, you should only be holding the club at about a 3 or a 4. You know, Sam Sneed referred to uh, holding the golf club like you're holding a small bird in your hands. Well, many of us have not actually held a small bird in our hands, so I like to like liken it to holding the club like you're hoping, holding an open can of toothpaste or an open can of soda and that you don't want to crush the can. And I find that we're really good at setup. We're pretty darn good through takeaway, but it's when we're transitioning into the downswing, that's when I start to see that grip pressure go off the charts. And again, on a scale of one to 10, it's 2,423. And when that happens, yeah, exactly. When that happens, what happens is as you come through impact, because your grip pressure is so tight, it actually opens your club face and it'll be in an open position as you strike the ball and that will absolutely cause it to slice so to fix that slice immediately if you find you're gripping it too tightly here's your fix here's your new swing thought as you set up over your ball your last swing thought right before you do your takeaway should be a deep breath out so by taking a deep breath out just a where you kind of expel that air not only are you relaxing your grip pressure which will absolutely help you square up the club face at impact but it also takes tension out of your swing so for those of your listeners that are you know are looking for more distance tension is a club head speed killer. So again, tense muscles are not fast muscles. So loose, relaxed, supple muscles are fast muscles. So even at the World Long Drive Championships, one of my two biggest swing thoughts is relax the grip pressure. So I take that deep breath out and I guarantee it'll lead to longer, straighter shots. So that's one thing I see to slicing. And the other one, Chris, this is a huge, huge, huge one. I would say so many amateur golfers do not finish their golf swing. And especially if they have any sort of baseball or softball background, what what they're great at is being able to, you know, engage their lower body and, and use their hips and make, you know, a good quick turn with their with their lower body and their core. But what they do is they leave weight on that back foot. And so what happens is when you come through your golf swing, when you finish your golf swing, if you have any weight on that back foot, what happens is it opens your club face and again, leads to that big slice and takes minimum 15 to 20 yards off, off every single shot in your bag. So I, I want to tell golfers, you want to finish your golf swing on your front side. You should be completely over your front leg with your belt buckle at least to the target, maybe even past would be great. And most importantly, I want to see the entire sole of their back shoe. So for your right-handed golfer, that's the entire back sole of, of your right foot. And for my lefty, it's the back sole of your left shoe. And if I can't see the entire back sole of your shoe, you've left weight on that back foot, which means you've left yardage in your bag and good chance is that you're going to be slicing. So let's take that a step further because I, and I'm with okay. you getting that weight transfer from, from Huge. your back foot to your front foot. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So are you loaded up on your right side at address and when you're on your takeaway or are you, is your weight evenly distributed? Yeah, great question. I find that to be even, it's evenly distributed. Uh, like now in driver, I might have a slight shoulder tilt where I'm, uh, my, my, my lead shoulder is slightly higher than my trail shoulder. But otherwise, it's really, it's equal weight distribution. Where that, that weight comes in, in terms of the shift is that as you make your, your, your backswing, and again, it should not be a, it shouldn't be a slide. It should be a turn. So basically, you want to think of it in simple thoughts as in your backswing, you simply want to turn your shirt. So you want to turn your shirt in your backswing and turn your pants 
enhance in your downswing. And you have to start your downswing with that lower body. Um, a great swing thought, again, for your listeners to kind of get the idea or the notion of how do we load up and how do we make a good turn is if they start initiating their backswing, not with their hands, not with their arms, but with their lead shoulder. So for a right-handed golfer, that's your your uh, left shoulder. And for your righties, it's, it's the right shoulder. But if you start your backswing with your lead shoulder, the shoulder closest to your target, I guarantee what's going to happen is you're going to make this great turn. And then that's when you're going to kind of get the weight loaded over the, over the back foot a little bit. How we transfer it to the front is you've got to start that downswing with the lower body. And this is where I see my, for any of your listeners that struggle with a pull or a hook, I find that what happens is a lot of my men, this is, you talked about what, what men and women struggle with. My guys struggle with this more and my, my, more, my lower handicappers, my better golfers is what happens is they get to the top of their golf swing and they start the downswing with that back shoulder because they're usually, especially men, are typically stronger in their upper body and their arm area. So when they want to kill it, when they just want to bomb one or it's a men's long drive hole at a tournament, they start that downswing with that back shoulder. And as soon as you've done that, you've lost all the coil and torque you've picked, you've built up. So what happens is that upper body outraces the lower body and you will pull it all day long. So a great swing thought to get rid of that pull or that hook is when you get to the top of the backswing, the first move in your downswing should be turn your lead hip or turn your lead pocket or turn your belt buckle or my favorite, turn your guts. So turn your shirt in your backswing, turn your pants in your downswing. So Lisa, getting back to the World uh, Long Drive Championship, and I know there was a a competition just here a couple of weeks ago. Yes. And uh, as I was watching, um, let's start on the men's side, Kyle Berkshire. 470 yards. He has had an off-the-chart season. 22-year-old uh, young man, uh, you know, relatively new to the world long drive scene. Uh, he's gotten some big wins under his belt at the tour events. He went one tour event um, that he he literally had to basically hit five balls. He went one ball done, one ball done, and we usually get eight balls in our sets. Well, if the other hitter hit first, he normally had to just hit one ball and boom, he was out of that set, already beat them, moved along. So uh, his performance at the World Long Drive Championships was amazing. And in the semifinal round, he had hit seven balls out of bounds. He had one ball left and he had to, he had to hit it over 400 and some yards to, 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 to beat his competitor. And he did it. You want to talk clutch? Kyle Berkshire is as, as clutch as they come. And I think he's going to be a huge, huge star in our sport. Already is, but I mean for the long term. You know, he just has a beautiful golf swing. He was a college player and uh, the speed he can generate is amazing and a very humble young man. Let's go over to the women's side. Chloe Garner won the event, 347 yards. Now, talk about Chloe and just the fact that she hit it 347 and you've hit it over 350 in the past. Does that fuel you for the next go around? Well, yeah, you know, it, it basically, it, when it comes down to it, the conditions make a huge difference. So is there tailwind? Is there headwind? Um, you know, is there, are there wet conditions? Is it mostly a carry grid? Is there any roll? Uh, but that ball, you know, Chloe hit, holy cow. She, it was basically no wind. She hit a spectacular ball. Chloe's been knocking on the door. She's come second a few times at the World Long Drive Championships. She's from South Africa. Um, and for her to get that win, especially over Phyllis Meddy, who won the majority of our, our, our Long Drive Tour events this year, uh, Chloe did win one in South Carolina. Alexis Belton has uh, won one as well, too. And then Phyllis Meddy had well, won the rest. And, and absolutely spectacular. Again, I, I can't say enough wonderful things uh, about, about both Chloe and Phyllis. So Phyllis set a new world record uh, this year, again, hitting it over 400 yards. Uh, um, absolutely spectacular. Now, there was, you know, there was some tailwind and then, you know, some, some a bit more rolling conditions. But 
Phyllis Meddy is the one to beat typically in every one of our competitions. Um, I've always, I've always said if she hits her ball, the rest of us are really, you know, going for seconds. So Chloe's performance and what she did to pull out the ball that she did, she's always been capable, um, and she absolutely killed it. She's very, very fit. She's, she's done a lot with CrossFit in the, in the past and, um, is, uh, has, has been an incredible, uh, athlete, but again, also a super wonderful, kind, humble person. And I, I couldn't be happier for Chloe. Gary Player just yesterday uh, actually tweeted about it, and, and he was really proud to have a fellow South African win the World Long Drive, so kind of cool that Gary Player jumped in on it as well. Absolutely it was. So Lisa, you know, as you, know, as you carry the, the, the title of being an eight-time you know, long drive champion, when you're playing in a pro-am, do you, do you feel pressure that every time you step up on the tee, whether it's a par four or par five, that you have to put on a show, you've got to bomb it out there every single time or people are going to be disappointed, whoever you're playing with? Oh, absolutely. I was actually just at one of the NHL teams. I was at their charity golf tournament last Monday, and I went straight to the driving range because my group expects me to hit every drive over three bills. They're they're trying to hit every par five and two. They're like, great, woo, we got the long drive champion. So there's definitely a lot of pressure, not just to hit it far, but to hit the fairway. And in long drive, we get eight balls, three minutes to hit hit eight balls. If you hit a couple out of bounds, no big deal. But in golf, if you hit it out of bounds, you're laying three off the tee. So there's tons of pressure, and I, I I always love, uh, you know, trying to, to to live up to the expectations when I play in those pro-ams. And, and have we, and why we, I guess, let me, let me preface that by saying the male gender. Have we, have we grown and matured at all, or, or are we still trying to jump up there and go, we got to try to muscle it up because we got to outdrive the girl? Well, I often, it's funny you should say that, and that happens more when I do my corporate and charity golf tournaments. So when I'm standing on a par five at an event and usually raising money for a charity and, and, and it usually there's a fun little competition, you know, you know, to try to outdrive me. And the guys, a guy who's got this smooth, silky swing all day long is swinging out of his shorts, wild, crazy, and the grip pressure again goes off the charts, you know. So again, usually what I'll see, I'll see, I'll go against guys that are six foot four, 240, 50 pounds, and the second I start to see them start that downswing with that back shoulder, I'm always like, got him. <laughs> because, again, he, the, the big key to distance for any of your listeners, it's, got, it's lower body. Your leg muscles and your glutes and core are so much stronger than your arms. So you really want to use your leg muscles to generate power in your, in, your, in your swing, not your smaller muscles like your arms. So, you know, that's usually what gives me a chance. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, it's uh, quite funny to see. <laughs> no doubt. Lisa, in this month's edition of Golf Tips Magazine, I got it right here in my hands. You have a tip for finding the right ball position for each of our clubs. Do you mind sharing that tip? Oh, this tip is off the charts. This absolutely helped my ball striking. You know, I love long drive, uh, but but I also want to be a good golfer. And so I work with, as I recommend uh, all your listeners, please work with the PGA of America uh, Pro, or P, if you're up in the Canada, PGA of Canada Pro, because you want to work with a professional that knows how to, to diagnose the swing, like Tom. Tom is a perfect example of, of you know, an award-winning instructor. Uh, I work with uh, Paul Horton, who is uh, t- uh, the 2017 uh, PGA of Canada Coach of the Year. And what he taught me in ball position just just 
just absolutely made me hit the ball so much more solid. In my old ball position, uh, for uh, my pitching wedge, it would be dead center of my stance and then slightly forward for nine iron, slightly forward for eight, seven, six, five, four, and as it went forward, and of course for driver, it would be then off the uh, instep of my front foot. And that stays the same. For driver, there's absolutely only one ball position. Many of your, your uh, listeners can also add 20 yards to their drives today if they start looking at their ball position. A lot of golfers step up to the ball, they kind of pick their target, they get up, and they don't even realize where that ball is in their stance. The driver is the one club you want to hit on the upswing. All your other clubs are trying to hit down on the ball, trap the ball, compress the ball. But driver, you want to hit up on it. That means you want to have that, that ball position at the front of your, uh, of your stance. So here's, here's a little tip for your listeners for, for ball position for driver. What you want to do is you want to stand with your feet together. You kind of want to eyeball your ball in the middle of your feet. And then for driver, you simply want to move your back foot. By moving your back foot, you've guaranteed that the ball position for driver is off the instep of the front foot. Now, that's just for driver. What my coach helped me with is ball position for every other club in your bag. As I just told you, I used to move it for every club just slightly forward, slightly forward, slightly forward until I got to driver. Well, that was quite inconsistent. The way my coach explained it to me is he said, Lisa, you, when you properly strike a golf ball on all clubs except driver, again, you want to hit down on it, trap it, compress it. So you want to hit the ball first, compress it, then the club's going to bottom out, then you're going to make your divot, and then you're going to finish your golf swing. So he said, if you want your club to bottom out after the ball, he said, why wouldn't you just place your ball behind uh, where it, the lowest part of your swing is? So by physics, the lowest part of your golf swing is actually at your lead shoulder joint. So again, if you're a right-handed golfer, that's the shoulder joint your, of, your, of your left shoulder. And for your lefties, it's of the shoulder joint of your right shoulder. So what he says is start the ball about three to four inches behind the shoulder joint. And then basically what that means is as you come down with all your clubs, you're going to hit down on the ball, trap it, compress it. Then it'll bottom out at that shoulder joint, you know, three to four inches past, um, you know, past where you set that ball up. And then you're going to make your divot and go. Um, so so to, to do proper ball position for all the other clubs in your bag, what I want your listeners to do is put feet together, just like you would with driver, feet together, eyeball the ball in the middle of your feet. I want you to move your lead foot three to four inches forward so towards your target and then you simply move your back foot to comfort and when I say to comfort when you have a smaller or a shorter club such as like a pitching wedge you're not going to move it too far back and if you look down at the ball it almost looks like it's in the middle of your stance but as you have a longer club like a five iron you're going to move your your back foot back a little further and uh, that that has I have now been absolutely striping my irons hybrids and fairy woods because of this new ball position Um, and again if your listeners want to get a better visual of it. If they go to Golf Tips Magazine, uh, they're going to get a, uh, there'll be visuals in there and an explanation. And, and I think they're just going to love it. So taking that, you know, sort of uh, talking about uh, ball position, let's talk stance. Because okay. as I look at your stance, your feet are pretty wide apart at the dri- when you got your driver in your hand. Yep. And it starts to get more narrow as you go down in club. Talk about, you know, how far down your stance varies from driver to pitching wedge. Yeah. So again, for driver, again, you want you don't want to be too far apart. I'd, I'd say you know about shoulder width apart. Maybe you can go a, sl- a little bit wider, depending on comfort uh, and and height and all the rest of that. But you know you want to have a nice stable base that you can that you can you know launch off of there. Um, so that would be your widest club. And then you know again, it's really to comfort. Like I, I, there's not in, in in the way that my coach has worked with me is that is that he wants to see me just kind of again feeling it to comfort. So more importantly is making sure that you 
know where that ball is from your lead foot. And so as, as a right-handed golfer, another great little thought of where that ball should be under, it should be under you where your heart is um, or where the logo would be on a golf shirt, typically is over your left chest. And if you're a left-handed golfer, it would be in the middle of your pectoral muscle on your right. Uh, but just getting that ball position set up first, and then in terms of stance, that back foot would just be to comfort. So you just want to make sure that it's not feeling uncomfortable. It's not feeling too wide or too narrow. And again, shockingly, your body kind of will get a good sense of that once once you play with it, as long as you get that that lead foot correct. That lead foot needs to start with the feet together, balls in the middle of the feet, move the lead foot three to four inches, and back foot to comfort, except for driver, when you just simply move the back foot. So Lisa, this is, these are all great tips for, for us and, uh, you know, for the weekend golfer like myself. I'm, I'm curious because you, you do such a great job with your clinics and, and you hit the ball so far. Are, are ladies out on the LPGA tour, are they reaching out to you to try to get, tw- you know, tips for themselves on how to get a little more? No, distance? you know what? I think. I think the LPGA Tour, like they are whole, you know, they're spectacular. Like I, I, I've had an opportunity to speak to many of the LPGA uh, the Tour players. Their games, if you watch the games, if you want to emulate a golf swing, watch the LPGA Tour. Holy cow, they're they're so smooth. I was actually just recently at the LPGA uh, Tour's uh, Canadian Women's Open in Toronto, and uh, it's just unbelievable. Of course, our Canadian Brooke Henderson, nine-time winner on the LPGA Tour, you know, so spectacular. These girls, it's like effortless power. So that's, I think, just like if you want again as any any golfer who wants to emulate a swing to watch that LPGA tour um, but I also think the excitement of it like that Solheim Cup this past weekend where it was such a close match comes down to the last putt where Suzanne Pedersen sinks the putt winning it for Europe like uh, unbelievable but again I thought that brought excitement to women's golf so I think that uh, women's golf is fascinating and I, I recommend more people to go out and watch these women in person they'll, they'll blow your minds and you know, and you make a good point, Lisa, because here's something that I that I share with with my friends and, and my buddies is not not only watching the LPGA tour is it is it fun and compelling. And to your point, the Solheim Cup was off the charts good. Yeah. Um, but but for the most part, none of us, none of us, me, my buddies, none of us can relate to how far the guys hit the ball on the PGA no. tour to to try to yeah. figure out their club head speed and all that sort of stuff. We can't relate to that. We have a better chance of relating to what the what the ladies are doing on the LPGA tour with respect to tempo, distance, Absolutely. and all of that sort of thing. So yeah, I'm with you. I point my friends like, watch the LPGA. Don't watch the PGA tour if you're no, trying to figure out. Great advice, Chris. Yeah, so it's it's interesting to me how much you know we think we can get up there and hit it like like DJ or or even Justin Thomas, and and we have no shot at doing anything. Brooks Kepka, all those guys. But we have somewhat of an opportunity to learn a lot from watching the girls on the LPGA Tour. Absolutely. And again, don't forget, those women are able to to, to hit the ball so far and, and so straight in their incredible short games with, with a, a smaller size and a smaller frame than the men have. So if you want to look at how to generate power, definitely watch the women. Lisa, one more before I let you go. And, and I, can't, uh, I can't let you go without asking you a hockey question. I know what a huge hockey fan you are so talk about the Calgary Flames. What 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 are your expect, oh. expectations? 
Well, you know what? We won the Western Conference last year, which was amazing, unbelievable. And then we were out in the first round. But look at Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay was number one in the NHL, and they were out in the first round, too. So I actually just got to hang out with uh, one of the top players in the NHL, Connor McDavid, at the uh, Edmonton Oilers uh, uh, golf tournament last weekend. And uh, so it was exciting to kind of talk hockey. But I, I'm, I, preseason is, has already started, and, and we'll be starting the regular season in a couple weeks here. So I have, I'm, I'm, I have high hopes for my Calgary. Flames. Not only do I want them to win that Western Conference this year, I'm hoping we get all the way to the Stanley Cup final. Well, Lisa, remind our listeners again how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's on your website or it's on social media. Absolutely. So my uh, social media handles on uh, Twitter, Instagram uh, would be at Lisa Longball and uh, also Facebook. I welcome people to add me as a friend at Lisa Longball of Lucewick. Uh, I, I love connecting with listeners and, and uh, helping ask questions. My website is www.lisalongball.com. My contact information is there. So again, if any listeners have any questions, I'm more than happy to help uh, guide you, direct you in the right place because this game is all about helping each other, lifting each other up, and it just makes this uh, game so much more fun. Well, Lisa, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and, and be a part of the show tonight. It's always a lot of fun when you're here. Thank you very much. Best of luck, and uh, hopefully we get the opportunity to catch uh, uh, catch up with you again real soon. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm absolutely honored. I'm, I'm excited. To, I'm getting ready for the 2020 uh, Golf Channel's World Long Drive Tour season, so that would be great to, to, to catch up with you. I appreciate it. Take care, Lisa. All the best to you and Thanks, your family. Thanks, Chris. Thank See you, ya. too. That's the great Lisa Longball Bluswick. V-L-O-O-S-W-Y-K is how uh, her last name is spelled. And again, uh, LisaLongball.com. I'm telling you, folks, you've got to go out there and check out. She's got so many great videos and a lot of great tips. And again, check out this, uh, this month's edition of Golf Tips Magazine. She's got it right there for you as well. Great stuff. She's a great lady. And I uh, look forward to catching up with her again real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Dr. Bob Jones IV, please check out our friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. Now, folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan Irons since maybe the 80s or the 90s, do yourself a favor. They've got a great demo program. Get a demo iron from either their Fort Worth, PTX, new PTX Pro, or Edge Irons. And they've got a great fitting system right on their website as well to let you know which one of those irons suits your game. So get a demo from one of them, go out on the range, and compare it to whatever it is you have. All Ben Hogan irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. So no mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can order custom-made irons, wedges, hybrids by going online to BenHoganGolf.com. And they're going to build those clubs to your specifications. And best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out their complete line. Again, of forged irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, bags, accessories, and their new GS53 driver and fairway woods, because they're fantastic as well. Go check it out by going online to BenHoganGolf.com. All right, now back in making his sixth appearance with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Dr. Bob Jones IV. Doc is the grandson of Bobby Jones. He was born and raised in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, which is located in the very northwest part of the state, right near the New York state line. Now lives here just northeast of Atlanta. Doc has a bachelor's degree in English literature, a master's in divinity, and a doctorate in clinical psychology. He's working now as a sports psychologist. It's been wonderful getting to know Doc over the last few years. There's something very spiritual about spending time with Doc that has stayed with me since the very first time he was on the show. Had the privilege of meeting Doc in person for the first time a few weeks ago, right after he hit the ceremonial first tee shot 
at the tour championship. And oh, by the way, striped it right down the middle, right where any of the players would gladly have walked out and dropped their ball if they'd have had that opportunity. I'm very excited he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Doc. How are you? Good evening, good evening, Chris. Uh, what, you're so kind. What you probably meant to say is if the players had walked 80 yards forward, they would probably <laughs> be pleased to drop it on that line. <laughs> but, but, hey, I'll take it. I'll take it, you know? I, no, and I don't – and, I, and I, you're very humble. And I'm not exaggerating because you stepped up and hit that ball as, as good as anybody could have wanted to hit that opening tee shot. And, and, and just on, and on top of that, Doc, I got to ask you, I mean, we talked about this for a moment uh, when, when we got to uh, to meet, but you're doing that in front of the governor, the mayor, you know, a stand full of you know fans, people on either sure. side of the T. That's not easy. What's it like dealing with that kind of pressure? Well, you know, that's an interesting question I, because ultimately, Chris, pressure is actually uh, a state of mind in the sense that. I mean, it's a totally internal phenomenon. First of all, you had to look at it from from the perspective that I had. Really, uh, the the only thing I had to do was just put the club face on the ball. As long as I just put the club face on the ball, then everything is going to be fine and everybody's going to be happy. So that takes a lot of pressure off right there. The other thing was I already had my bailout plan. If I had cold topped it, I was just going to just reach down, get my tee, and just say, wow, the course is going to play long today and be done with it. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> so, I mean, really, the the pressure is almost totally imaginary in that situation. And it's just <laughs> a lot of fun. And we're there to honor. Uh, we're there to honor all this great stuff that's gone on at East Lake with their Junior Golf Foundation and everything that they've done for that local community. I mean, it is such a feel-good opportunity that I, I was actually I was actually chomping at the bit to get out there and do it. And what was even more amazing is that young girl who came out after me and uh, and just absolutely striped it. Now, you want to put pressure on me, you have me hit after her, and that would have put pressure on <laughs> No doubt. I, I, I want to spend our time tonight. We, we, we do a lot, you know, when you come on the show, but I, I think not, yeah. not enough people talk about you and your life. There's a lot talked about your grandfather and your father, but there's really not a lot yes. talked about what it was like for you. So, um, I want to talk about what it was like growing up a Jones, you know, in the shadow of your grandfather and your father. That had to be difficult. It was. It was. Uh, it was very difficult. You know, for example, I remember when I went to the Masters for the first time, and uh, it was one of those days. Uh, I was there. It was 1970. I was 12 years old, and uh, I remember. Uh, I remember I was wearing long trousers and uh, a white golf shirt, and. I remember saying to my dad, Dad, I don't get it. Some of the other member kids are wearing uh, shorts. Why can't I wear shorts? And dad said, well, son, their name isn't Robert Tyre Jones. And so, you know, there was always an awareness of who my grandfather was and what he had done. And, and essentially, we were brought up, at least in the, when we were around the golf world, to always assume that somebody was watching everything we did, uh, which in that environment is probably a healthy paranoia. Um, so it was a very difficult thing to grow up with. 
when I started playing golf, it was even more difficult because people expected me, even as a ranked beginner, to basically go out and shoot 68. And I mean, I could do that, but then I'd probably shoot 67 or 65 on the back nine. And that was just something that people, yeah, I mean, that was just something that people weren't really expecting. And for a long time for me, uh, being Bob Jones the fourth, while I loved my grandfather dearly, and of course, uh, I, I loved my dad, uh, we just lost him way too early. Uh, but for a long time for me, being Bob Jones the Fourth was 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 an incredibly oppressive thing, and it's really been only in about the last fifteen sixteen years that I have finally realized that this is this is actually a great blessing, because you know it's 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 given me the opportunity to go to a lot of places, meet a lot of people, share things that are important to me, both in terms of golf, in terms of faith, in terms of, well, all sorts of things, with people that I would never have had the opportunity to meet otherwise. And so in that sense, uh, now, as I've gotten older, I've realized uh, it's actually quite a blessing, but, for a law, but, but I really had to work through a lot to get to that point. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, that's kind of the short answer. It only took me about eight minutes to say it. So. <laughs> but, and, and doc, you know, for, for those that don't know, you, you lost your grandfather, you're still a young man and it was, was in very short order that you lost your father right after that. So yes, you're still a, two, year, two years, you're still al- like two years teen. almost to the day. I was, I was 16 years old when my dad died. And so you, I, uh, you know, you know, three years later after he died, uh, we flew to Columbus, Ohio, for the first memorial tournament, and uh, Jack Nicholas uh, had asked if I would say a few words. Now I'm a 19 year old kid. I, I, I like to think I'm a reasonably decent speaker now, but at 19, uh, not so much. And they got me out there, and I thought it was just me. And it turned out there was a whole host of people that were supposed to speak. One of them was Bob Hope. The other uh, was Joe Dye, who nobody probably knows about anymore. But Joe Dye, for a long time, was executive director of the USGA, and then later became executive director of the PGA, what is now the PGA Tour. Joe Dye was probably uh, like a god figure in the game of golf, and certainly like one of the people that I just absolutely looked up to. And Joe got up there and gave this incredibly witty speech about how he was uh, uh, he was a young reporter in 1930 and was covering my grandfather when he came to Marion for the for the amateur and how my grandfather walked into the hotel Excelsior in Philadelphia and the bag boy dropped my grandfather's suitcase and the smell of corn whiskey came from and a bro- sound of broken glass the smell of whiskey filled the lobby. And Joe Dye immediately, he said, and at that point, I immediately knew that demigods do not carry demijohns. And everybody (laughs) just laughed. And they sat down. He just sits down after that. And 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 Jack says to me, now, Bob Jones IV would like to say a few words. And I got up there, and I mean, it was like, how do you follow that? (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I think I said something in Maine, and I worked off the premise that if you can't be good, be brief. 
<laughs> so, but it was yeah. uh, that was my starting point. That was my starting point. So, after that starting point, it's you know I guess that's why probably hitting the ceremonial tee shot wasn't much of a problem. I had to follow Joe Dye at 19 years old. That was pressure. <laughs> yeah, but you know to to that end, Doc. I mean, suddenly you're you're the next Jones, but you're 16 <laughs> years old. You're 16, yes. so you carried that for a long time until you were a reasonable age to understand what was going on. So were you, were you resentful? Were you, were you shy and timid about it? How did you deal from the teens to the 20s to the 30s with carrying all that by yourself? Well, you know, um, I think part of it came out of the fact that at least until the time I was, uh, let's see, 1984, I would have been 27. I think because one of the ways I dealt with it was I became very, very well acquainted uh, with um, with a great teacher, uh, and that was Teacher Scotch, and uh, <laughs> drank a lot. And because, and I think to a large extent, that was because this was just an extremely overwhelming thing. And then finally, at age 27, I got at least a, a little bit of sense in my head, and I realized, you know, if I don't get a grip on this thing, uh, it's going to kill me. And also, too, that actually I wasn't getting any better as a person. And so, you know, through the grace of God and a lot of friends, I was able to uh, I was able to take my last drink on October the 28th of 1980, uh, 1984. So, um, you know, that was the start. And then after that, I spent a lot of time really coming to grips with who my grandfather was. And, and I realized that he was a really great man, but he was not a perfect man. And, and, and to, a, to a certain extent, I realized that that made him actually more great, is that he wasn't a perfect guy. And that he did have his flaws. I mean, he had a horrible temper, always did. He never really bore fools graciously. And yet he was a very kind man. Uh, he was, I mean, he was uh, a very gentle man. And that was through a lot of discipline uh, on his own. And, and, and I think as I've come to understand that, and I've come to see him as a real flesh and blood person, um, it, it's actually probably made me love him more than when I was seeing him through the idealized eyes of childhood. Doc, I, I read a story about your grandfather that he had tried to coach your father, and he was hoping that your father would get far enough in the U.S. Amateur so that he could get invited to the 1960 Masters. Unfortunately, he drew Jack Nicklaus in the first round of that Amateur, who would obviously go on to win that. But is that an accurate story? Was he trying to coach that your is dad? A, that is an absolutely along? that is an absolutely true story, and you know they were totally convinced that the only thing that could be a problem is if uh, my grandfather, if, if my father were to face Jack Nicholas in either the first or the second round. But they figured, you know, what are the odds of that? One in a, one in 128. But what I've always said is, you know, if you actually do draw Jack Nicholas in the first round, those odds drop to like one to one. And <laughs> dad, I asked my dad, I asked my dad at the time, I said, Dad, I said, how did you know, when did you first know you were in trouble? And Dad said, I'll tell you what, they were playing at the Broadmoor that year. And Dad said, I got on the first tee, 
and I took my my driver out, and I hit my tee shot out there, and it was a beautiful tee shot, about 265 yards with just a little bit of a fade. And he said, Jack got up with a three-wood. And he said, when Jack's ball went over mine, it was still going up. And he said, that's when I realized you can't spot somebody 70 yards and expect to beat them. You know, and that sort of reminded me of something. You know, we talk nowadays about how incredibly long the players are today, and they are. But, you know, one of the things we forget is that when Jack was a young man, he was unbelievably long, and he was doing it with basically wound Haskell balls and persimmon heads. Right. I mean, think, yeah, think about that. He was hitting right. the ball 290, 300 yards with Haskell balls and persimmon heads. And not only that, golf courses that were not manicured to the way they are today. So just that's always worth thinking about when you're really asking Indeed. the question, how really good Jack was. That's right. Doc, I want to switch gears just a little bit. And, and, and you've got sure. a tremendous spirituality about you. And, and I know you have a strong faith. And I was curious, like, when did you find that? And how were you able to kind of let that in and do such a great job like you do now, radiating it out? Well, I don't know that I do such a great job radiating it out, but I certainly try. Uh, I first came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior when I was 15 years old. And uh, I had gone to see a Christian counselor and was having some uh, just some issues, and he helped me sort them out. And one of the issues I realized was is that I needed a Savior. And, it, you know, I would love to say at that point that everything was just wonderful after that. But you, if you remember what I said about the years I drank, uh, that was after I was 15. Um, I, I've spent many years in ministry, although frankly, I was not a good fit for it temperamentally, I think. Um, but the thing that really brought me, brought my faith into tremendous clarity was when my wife Mimi and I were dating. And I remember one day she made some comment, uh, about something and I said about the Bible and I said, well, geez, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I were to take what you're saying very, very seriously, I would have to think that you believe the Bible to be literally true. And Mimi just looked at me and she said, yeah, I do. And, you know, normally if somebody had said something like that to me, I would have said, I would have said, well, gosh, what's wrong with them? But when she said it, there was such a disarming honesty to how she said that, and I had such tremendous respect for her. It was the first time that I ever said to myself, gosh, I don't. I wonder what's wrong with me. And that's where I really started to really study the Bible and place myself under the authority of the Word of God. And that's where it really changed my life. And I mean, I don't, you know, I don't go out and thump the Bible at people, but since you asked, that's really what made the difference for me. And, um, you know, I, I just, uh, I, I love my wife, but more than anything else, I love God, and God has totally changed my life and has made it so much better than I could have ever dreamed. And, and I just, I want to share that with anybody that will listen. And uh, because it's, it's uh, because Good Lord, Chris, I'm alive. I'm here. We're having a conversation. Uh, and, and I'm not, you know, some tongue-chewing drunk. Life is good. Life is good. And it's, yeah, and, it's, it is. and it's because God changed my life. 
so for what you're doing now as a sports psychologist, talk about you know, for for those folks whether they're whether they you know here in the Atlanta area or wherever they might be listening to the show tonight. Talk about the things you're doing now, and if they if they need to reach out to you, whether it's for themselves, sure. their child, or whoever it might be that might need some help, how can they do that? Well, I work. I do work with a lot of juniors. Uh, I also work with a lot of business people who need to play golf uh, just as a part of what they do. And I also work with. I work with a lot of athletes all the way across the way. My approach to everybody is I I work off three things. I look at what their actual behaviors are, the physical side. I look at the cognitive side. What are they thinking? What, what What's going through their head while they're playing golf? How do they collect their information? And then thirdly, I look at managing emotions. How do we get them into an emotional comfort zone where they're not too amped up, but also not too like a bowl of jello? And those are the three things. And what I try to do is I try to look at each person and customize what I do for them uh, to to kind of fit what their needs are. Um, it, it's so each person uh, probably will will get exposed to each one of those three areas, but how much they're exposed to those areas will depend on what their particular needs are. Anybody that needs to reach me can find me at the Behavioral Institute of Atlanta in Sandy Springs. That's at www. B-I-A Georgia, spelled out, B-I-A Georgia, spell a dot com, and or they can find me on my own, my website, which is drrobertjones.com. Um, I love working with people, and I'm even available to work with groups. Uh, over the next few months, I'm going to be starting to work with the Grand Slam Golf Academy at the Bobby Jones Golf Course as well, so they'll be able to reach me through the Grand Slam Golf Academy at Bobby Jones Golf Course, so that's another way they can get me. So I'm around. <laughs> that's fantastic. Doc, before I let you go, first of all, I, I have to say hello to you from my next guest, Tom Patry. He wanted me to pass along, uh, you know, his uh, good wishes to you. So he he'll join me here in a minute. So I want to make sure I do that. Okay. Well, and, tell uh, Tom, well, I guess Tom already knows I'm saying hi. So there you are. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Doc, Doc, it's always such a privilege to get to spend some time with you. The time flies by so fast when you're a part it of the show. I hope you'll come back and join me again soon. All right, Chris. Thank you so much. Have a great evening. You do the same, Doc. Take care. All the best to you and your family. All right. You too. See you, Doc. That's the great Dr. Bob Jones the Fourth, and I, and I tell you, folks, on a couple of things. And Bob and and Doc is you know very humble. That golf swing on that first tee. I mean, I'm thinking you know to myself, I'd be lucky to get the ball off the ground, and he got stepped right up there just like it was nothing. And you know, it wasn't 80 yards down the middle of the fairway. It was you know way down the fairway. I, I don't know how far it is. I'm not that familiar with East Lake, but it was it was probably every bit of 250, 260 down the fairway. And uh, that's why I say the players would have been glad to go out there and drop it and, and, and go from there. But on top of that, every time that you're in his presence, whether that's here with me talking you know, to him over the phone uh, for the few minutes that I got to, to spend with him in person, there is a spirituality and a peace about Doc and and that that spirituality does radiate from him. I feel it. You know, like I say, anytime that uh, I have the privilege of being around him or talking with him, 
He's a wonderful man doing wonderful things. And uh, I, I can't thank him enough for his time tonight. And I certainly look forward to having him back on the show again real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Tom Patry, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Positive Vibes Golf. Check them out online at PositiveVibesGolf.com and give them a follow on Twitter at PVibesGolf. Their head covers and putter covers are a very unique way to keep your mind focused on positive thoughts. They're a great on-course training aid for me. I tell you what, keeps your mind in a positive way and puts those positive images. You got to see, you got to see the putter covers and you got to see the head covers. Put those positive images in your mind. So every time you walk back to the bag, you feel a little bit better, get a little smile on your face. You're going to even play better. Now, right now they've got an auction going on, uh, with, for a beautiful custom made Bradley putter, uh, with the proceeds going to help folks devastated by the recent flooding over in Spain. So please go check out that auction and bid on it so that, uh, folks can, uh, you know, they can get those proceeds over to the folks that need it. Again, check it out online, positivevibesgolf.com and on their Twitter page at pvibesgolf. All right. Now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line as our resident director of golf, Tom Patry. Tom is a Golf Tips Magazine Top 25 instructor, served this summer at, as the uh, director of instruction at the Hawthorns Golf and Country Club up in Fishers, Indiana. Shortly, he's going to be heading back down to Naples, Florida for his uh, winter residency down there. You can visit him at the Esplanade Golf and Country Club. Uh, you know, Start signing up now, folks. So look, you can get golf lessons from TP and you can sign up for them by going on his website, TomPatry.com, P-A-T-R-I, TomPatry.com. Also sign up for his newsletter while you're on there as well. And it's always a privilege to have him here as part of the show. Hey, TP, how are you, my friend? Christopher, my boy, good evening. Good evening. How are you, my friend? You doing all right? I'm doing good. Now, let me say something. How cool is Dr. Jones? Is he like the coolest guy in the whole world? Yes. I love Doc. Yeah, he is awesome. absolutely spectacular. Yes, he is. He's 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 awesome. I love listening to him. He, I've only had the privilege of meeting him one time in person, but you know, Chris, he's just—I follow him on all the social media pages he's on, and and uh, he's such a positive, uplifting, just just a great influence. What a what a class act he is. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more, my friend. So, Tom, I, I want to start off. I got a, a couple of different directions I want to go with you tonight, and 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 you and I have talked about the new young guns coming out on tour with the Matthew Wolves and the Colin Morikawas, you know, coming out and making an immediate impact. Both have gotten wins since they joined the, the PGA Tour. And now last weekend, 20-year-old Joaquin Neiman, and you talked about Joaquin a couple of months ago when you were on the show. And not only does he win this past weekend at the Greenbrier, but he does so by six strokes, Tom. Guys, fearless out yeah. there. Talk about these new young guns and what the expectation, because these guys look like, they can win multiple times in the next year. Well, I, I first of all, Chris, I think the word rookie is is no longer a relevant term because by the time we see these people on the PGA Tour, the people who don't follow golf closely enough, like maybe you and I do, and some people do, they just are occasional tuner inners are missing the fact that these guys have been seasoned by very very high level college programs, very very high level amateur events during the summers and have paid their dues already on the Corn Ferry Tour. So by the, team, by the time that the average Joe watches him play the PGA Tour, these guys are very well seasoned and very hungry and very well trained, and they are absolutely fearless because they've, they've already been through the wars, you know, working their way to the PGA Tour. These guys are not rookies anymore. So 
their performance, I don't think surprises anybody that they're playing against on tour. The older guys, they, they, those older guys know they're coming, know who they are, know, know well in advance how talented they are. Um, but uh, Joaquin put on a hell of a show on Sunday, shooting 64 the last round and just kind of pulling away and lapping the field. But, uh, you know, Maura Cower and Matt Wolf and, and Victor Hovland and, and, you know, you can go on. There's five or six others that are just, you know, we're going to really enjoy golf the next 15 years. It's going to be awesome. So, Tom, as as we look at, you know, the wraparound season and, you know, that that tournament this past weekend was the kickoff to the 2020 golf season. So I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts, right? We, we know a lot of the, the big names, the, the, the Rory's and the Ricky Fowler's and the Justin Thomas's, Brooks Kepka, et cetera, et cetera, are probably not going to be playing an awful lot between now and, and the end of the calendar year. Typically those guys pick it back up in January, but your thoughts are, are is this still compelling golf on the PGA tour? Are you going to be paying attention to who wins week in and week out or, or is it time to, uh, you know, yeah, oh, by the way, this guy won, that guy won. I'll, I'll pick this thing back up in January. Yeah, well, I guess that's a, you know, that's a loaded question with me, Chris, and you're, you're teeing me up for, uh, for the, for the slaughter here. But, uh, <laughs> I, but I, I, I watch golf every week. I watch golf being played overseas every week, you know, like it's being played in, at, at, at Wentworth in England this, this, this season, right? I mean, this week right now on the European tour, I watch the Solheim Cup just ended. You know, I watch PGA Tour events. So I watch, but I'm a, you know, I'm a golf professional. It's my life. I, you know, competing at one time was part of my life. So I am interested, but I, do I think it's overdone? You know, I do. Do I think that the wraparound season is relevant? No, I don't. Um, do I think these guys need a rest? Yes, I do. And do I think the PGA Tour has gotten a little too money hungry? Yes, I do. So I don't think it's a healthy place for these guys right now. I think you're, you're burning the candle at both ends right now. Um, but yes, I do watch it, but no, I don't agree with it. So to that point, Tom, you, you, you talked about rest because it, it would seem like, you know, for if the guys just kept on playing, right, if they were going to play in, you know, these events in the back end of the season or what is now actually the front end of the season, which is crazy. But it, your bodies are going to start breaking down, are they not? I mean, you, you can't just you can't well, play that much golf, can you? Well, well, Chris, look, look at look at the injuries we've seen, right? We've seen we've seen elbows, we've seen wrists, we've seen knees, we've seen backs, we've seen necks, we've seen more of all those than we've ever seen before. So I get I guess that speaks for itself. I don't think anybody has to prove that to anybody. I mean, you know, I think these guys are hitting too many golf shots or on too many planes, trains, and automobiles. They're they're you know just constantly going and, and constantly pushing themselves because it's so competitive out there. I, I think we're really hurting the athlete. I think we're shortening their careers. I think we're putting at more risk for injury and more risk for, you know, for serious injury. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I think, I think the facts speak for themselves. So to that, you know, to that point, Tom, I mean, we, we've, we've seen Tiger go through the myriad of injuries, the knees and obviously the back and the things that, that he's had to deal with over the course of time. Is the PGA Tour going to have to wait until we get to, you know, Brooks and these guys getting to 40 years old, 35 years old, and then start to see, oh, we got the shoulder surgeries, to your point. We got the back surgery. Hey, you know what? Maybe this is too much golf. Hey, maybe we need to back this thing down and go back to the way it used to be so we can give these guys 
four or five months off of rest before we ask them to come back out and play in our tournaments. I mean, is it going to take these guys that we're seeing now that are in their late 20s and 30s get to their mid to late 30s and have these same sort of Tiger-esque in- injuries before we figure out this is just too much on the body? No, I don't think the PGA Tour is going to do a thing about it, Chris, at all. I really don't. I think the, the, machine, the big machine is going to keep on moving. I think, with, I think the onus and the responsibility is going to fall on the individual player to be extremely careful about their scheduling, to make sure they're, you know, four on and two off or three on and two off and, and that they have to rest and they can't play 35 events. They can't play 27 events. And, and so what that does is puts, when they do have to perform and do have to get on the stage, they've got to be ready to go and put their foot on the gas. It's going to get more and more competitive and more hyper competitive. And, you know, you are going to have guys that push it too hard and they're going to get hurt, but the PGA tour is not going to back off. That's, that's a business. It's like the NFL. It's like the NBA. It's like major league baseball. It's like, you know, pit, we're looking at pitch counts now and, and things like that in baseball that we never really heard of 15 years ago, pitch counts or things like that. And, we're looking at the, uh, you know, people in, well, what about football this last week? How many quarterbacks went down this last week? I mean, uh, I think we're pushing all these athletes a little too hard, um, and, and too often. And, and you know, think about the NFL thinking about going to adding two games to their schedule. That's, that's insane. You know, I mean, we're just, we're going in the wrong direction here on those things. TP, I want to switch it up a little bit and get some playing lessons from you. And um, I saw a tip that you posted over, over the last week about grip and using your hands. Since our hands are the only connection we have, you know, to the golf club, what's the proper use of our hands during the swing? Well, let's see, Chris. We, we shave with our hands. We, we dial a phone with our hands. We brush our teeth with our hands. We feed ourselves with our hands. Uh, we open a doorknob with our hands. We steer the car with our hands. We tie our shoes with our hands. It seems to me that our hands are pretty well educated, <laughs> that they're <laughs> they're pretty much able to do whatever we wanted to do. So if you don't think the hands have a role in squaring the club face up, then then you and I are not on the same page. And I'm gonna and I'm gonna get holy help in this from everybody in the in the in the community that teaches, you know, body, you know, the big muscles. And, and listen, I I definitely think this, the big muscles have a huge role in in, in power and creating power, but I think the hands are kind of like the steering wheel of the car. They, they direct the club face um, as a primary influence. You know, and I, I was very fortunate in my career, really fortunate in my career, to spend time with Mr. Bob Toski and, and a man named Mr. Jim Flick. And, and, you know, they came from a different generation, and it was a pre-track man, pre-video generation. And, and they had a real, real love affair with the hands in a golf swing and, and what the influence was of the hands. So, listen, I, I definitely think that the big muscles have a role in creating power and have and have a role, but I think the hands also have, have a role in the golf swing. And I've always been somebody that taught, in part of my teaching was hands-based and, and understanding the role of the hands as an influence of the club face and the arrival of the impact point. So, um, and, and you're not going to change me from, from believing that. I, no matter what you tell me or do with me, it's not going to change. Now, I, I have to admit, some of my peers will laugh right now. I recently uh, purchased a TrackMan. <laughs> the dinosaur actually bought a TrackMan, um, and, and he's really and, and he's and he's going to also admit that after fighting it for a long time, he's really enjoying it. But I think I think the dinosaur is also using the TrackMan a little differently than a lot of people are using it. He uses it sparingly. He uses it uh, very conservatively. 
He gets certain numbers from it that he wants to understand and convey to the student, and then he puts it away. It's not on 24-7, 365. We don't look at every swing we make during an hour golf lesson with the track men on, and we don't stare at the screen. We get a few numbers. We quantify what we're trying to do, and we move on. So, um, you know, I've always been a video guy, so I'm, now I'm combining my, my, my video that's been with me for you know, a better part of 30 years with, with some track man numbers and with my eye and with my experience. And I think blending those four things together makes me pretty good at what I do. Um, but, yeah, I think the hands have a huge role in the golf swing. I mean, I, I, I played 18 – I had an 18-hole playing lesson this afternoon, and, and I made – first time in a, in, in, in a long time, I made 18 straight pars. Um, and I had a lot of birdie putts that I didn't make, and I felt my hands felt terrible on the putter. They just they didn't feel good on the putter, and I never got comfortable with them on the putter. So consequently, I didn't hold any putts. And and two days ago, I, I I hit it half as good as I hit it tonight. I mean, didn't even hit near as good as I hit it tonight. And the putter felt great in my hands, and I made six birdies. So tell me if the hands didn't make the difference in my round tonight. I, I'd have to say that they probably did. And Tom. It- I think it, where a lot of us go wrong, and I, and I really want to get your thought on this, is when we're at a dress, particularly uh, you know on on the tee, but anywhere really on the golf course. When we're at a dress, I think the first move we often make is taking the hands away from the golf ball. And I'm, I'm curious to get your thought as a as a you know the, the very first move. Should it be with our hands moving? Should it be with our lead shoulder? Moving, how how are you taking on the on the takeaway on our backswing? What's our first move? Well, I I got to give you a lot of credit here because you're trying to back me into a corner. I love that about you. That's wonderful. <laughs> so I I won't take the I won't take I won't take the bait. I'll, I'll take care of you and I'm I'm going to rope and tie you right now. No, I don't think the hands start the backswing. I do not think the hands start. I think it's called a backswing because those big muscles in your back have a primary role a primary role in starting the car down the road. The back turns, the arms swing, and the hands and wrists eventually set. So we have a we have a turn, we have a swing, and we have a set. We have a blended action between those three groups and putting the club in motion. And ha ha, you didn't get me on that one. So good try, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> I wasn't trying to get you on it because I tell you what, I, I think I'm as guilty as any weekend hacker that that my first move is typically take you know with you know I'm yeah. my it's with my hands I take the hands and, and then the shoulders sort of follow with them and that's a great point because that's it's one of the things I say to people anytime you put the club in motion or move the shaft away from the golf ball you've got to you've got to support the swinging of the golf club with a turning body so again I think everybody you know it's, you know everybody has a role in this in this endeavor you know my shoulders and my torso and my back muscles have a role my arms have a role and my hands and wrists have a role in making this, making this, you know, this train roll smoothly down the tracks. So no, I don't think the hands start the backswing, but I think they participate in the backswing in their, in their area. And, and so do the back muscles and so do the arm swing. So I think it's a blended action at that point. I teach hands mostly in terms of club face impact point and that the club face is going to be influenced in impact. And if you're really talented with your hands, and I think people like, well, I think certainly people like Tiger in his, in his career, or especially early, you know, 02, 03, 04, was very gifted in manipulating the face of the club and doing things with the club to make the ball do different things. We saw some incredible golf shots hit 
around trees and over trees and, and, you know, over bunkers and, you know, with short shots, especially, you know, the guy had an incredible pair of hands, but yet used his big muscles very well too. So I, I think you have to understand the role and how you move these things together. So, and, and this is, a, you know, my apologies, folks, because I'm getting a golf lesson here as, as, as we speak, because I'm thinking of my own golf swing, Tom. So, should my hand not finest, move until I get to one of the finest swings on the planet, I might say, too. <laughs> is, is my which first is, movement which, with which, my which, hand supposed? What's that? No, go ahead. Finish your question. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm, as I'm thinking through my golf swing, is the first time my hands get involved when I get to uh, the part of my backswing where I got the wrist cock and I'm, you know, sort of get trying to get the club as, as close to parallel as a 54 year old can can get the club the club to parallel? Because am I keeping I, I that triangle pure? Well, let me ask you a question. If you look at, well, actually, I won't ask a question. I'll make a statement. If you look at the top of Tiger's backswing. He's got a very flat left wrist, but he's got a very neutral grip, okay? And you get to the top of Freddie Couples' backswing, who has a really strong left hand, yet his grip, his left-hand wrist is very, very cupped. So I think you have to understand the combination and role of how do I grip the club and then what position do I put it on the top based on what kind of flight am I trying to make happen? Am I trying to hit a high cut? Am I hit a sweeping jaw? A relatively straight shot, a high shot, a low shot. What am I trying to do? And it's a combination at the top of, you know, how are my hands on the club to start out with? And then what do I do at the top of my backswing in terms of is, is my left wrist flat? Is it cupped? Is it, is it convex like a Dustin Johnson? And what does that cause to happen? How does that influence the face of the club? So, um, you know, Freddie rips the club really, really strong with his left hand, but gets really cupped at the top which causes him to have a slightly open club face. And then he releases as hard as he wants, but it never goes left. He hits a cut. So that's, that's almost like savant genius type stuff. I mean, you don't teach that, that that's, that's almost freakosaurus type type stuff. Um, so if you understand the combinations of grip strength or grip position, if you will, and left wrist position at the top, you can make a lot of different things happen with the golf ball. But I, I think we're at a four or one level and we start thinking that way. So when I have Chris in front of me, what's your handicap, my friend? Twelve. Twelve. You you've got to get that golf club in a pretty pretty pristine condition. Make him understand the condition of his left hand and address and how he grips the club, and where he's trying to set the club to, and in what condition he's trying to set the club to at the top of his backswing, based on whatever ball flight he asks me to create for him. When people come to me, I don't tell them what kind of ball flight they want. I ask them what they want. Are you more comfortable hitting a draw? Are you more comfortable hitting a fade? Do you want to hit it higher? Do you want to hit it lower? What do you want to do? Because whatever you want to do, we can design that. We can make that happen. But you have to tell me what you want, and I'll explain how it's going to happen then. Tom, you've also got a great tip that I saw recently on social media using a tape measure uh, on the putting green. Talk about what what that drill does. Okay, well, Chris, you know, I, I've always been blessed. And although I didn't shake any in today, which was very frustrating, I, I, in my career, I've really been a pretty good putter. I, I putted, you know, I think in my college career, especially, I putted at a very high level. I, I, you know, looking back, back when I played a lot of golf and I worked on my golf game a lot, uh, in 80 and 81 in, in my college career, um, you know, I was lucky enough to win five or six college tournaments in an NCAA Division II. 
Um, the only two players I played with in my college career that I thought putted better than me were Corey Pavin and, and Willie Wood. And I thought after that, I didn't think anybody putted any better than I did. Um, so I was, I thought I was pretty good at that. Um, but I, I always believed and I always saw the putter putting the ball in this way. I think every putt is straight and you aim it at a certain point and then you, you dictate what speed you want and you let the ground be your friend. So I use the tape measure on, on, on straight putts to drill face and path, but then I'll also have a student take a tape measure on a 25 or 30 foot putt and say to them, okay, where do you, where do you want to start the ball? I think everything's about the starting line. Where do you want the ball to start? And they say, well, I want to start it four balls to the right. So I'll lay the tape measure down from where they're standing to a point four balls right of the pin or right of the hole. And I'll say to them, okay, your job is to hit a straight putt and let it run out of speed at some juncture to make it then break into the hole. And it just makes perfect sense. You have this linear track that you're rolling the ball down and you're trying to coordinate the speed because I think everything comes down to speed control. Everything comes down to speed control. You, you want to watch the worst putter in the world putt. He doesn't hit it six feet right or six feet left of the hole. He hits it six feet short or six feet long of the hole because he can't control the speed. So once you determine a starting line, everything's about speed control. Tom, a couple more before I let you go. And no, no, please, uh, obviously, wait, 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 Chris. Now, that we, now that we're done with the playing lesson, make sure you you send that PayPal in as soon as we're done. <laughs> you know, I just... <laughs> indeed. Okay, two more questions. Two more questions, and you just heard uh, obviously with with Doc on the show, and and I noticed you posted one of his grandfather's videos uh, on your uh, on your Facebook page. Typically around it, this one happened to be around short chip shots. And uh, he used a variety of different clubs, but he used a lot of wrist cock in his right hand and then came down with a decelerating blow and, and, and hit that nice chip shot. Is that, is that so, does that still play today? Is that still something you would teach or, or is it different now no, to get rid of that? No. Well, first of all, you're looking at one of the greatest pair of hands that ever played the game. And you're looking at a different era when green speeds were a lot slower than they are today. Um, and, and turf conditions were not as tight as they are today. So when, when the average handicap, a 15 or 12 or 15 handicap gets really risky like that on a tight lie, usually we see plenty of things happen with contact. So we just want to get the hands a little quieter, um, a little more dead, if you will, uh, when they chip and pitch the ball today. Bobby was, uh, a very gift. I mean, as Phil Mickelson is, as any, you know, as Raymond Floyd was, as any, as Crenshaw was, uh, faction to some degree, Trevino certainly had incredible hands, you know, they're just great hands and they could do whatever they wanted with the club. So people look at that and they try to emulate that. Well, how many amateurs, you know, have hands like Phil Mickelson? <laughs> that would be nobody. Um, so I, I try to get the hands a little quieter today in my teaching when they're chipping and pitching the golf ball. But that video of Jones that you're talking about that people can find on my Facebook page, uh, is an incredible black and white of Bobby hitting chip and pitch shots, you know, way back when, uh, you know, one of my, and Doc knows this because when I met him, I told him this, one of my, one of my all time heroes in golf was, was Bobby Jones. Uh, certainly, uh, with all the studying I've done and all the, all the reading I've done and all the information I've chased, uh, those old black and whites are some of my favorites of all time. They're incredible. And Tom, Another one of your students, 
just had some great success winning it, winning a a club championship. So wanted to give you an opportunity to give a shout out to that young lady. Well, Kay Fuller, one of my students here in Fisheries, just won the women's club championship at the Hawthorns where I'm teaching. That was my, I was trying to figure that out, Chris. I think that was, I know I'm closing in on like 50 or 60 club championships or something like that. I mean, through my years with people, which is, which is a lot of fun. It, you know, it's fun when you coach a tour player that wins or you coach a, a really good college player that wins a college event or, or junior that wins a really big junior tournament. But, you know, club championships are, 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 are very dear to me because it's, it's the, it's the average golfer who was playing his home course at his club in front of his own peers. And it's so much fun to watch somebody have success that you've worked with, you know, at a, at a local level, um, go out and, and do something like that. So, uh, you know, I remember as a kid, I won our club championship in my club growing up. And I thought that was, you know, I was like winning like the U.S. Open for me back then. It was a major, you know. So, yeah, Kay Fuller won our club championship this week. And uh, and and that was, uh, like I said, a lot of champion club championships for me. So it was fun to watch somebody win one again. Um, good for her. She, she worked hard all year and uh, she deserved it. Tom, remind now, our listeners again how they before, can. No, 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 no. Before we do that, before we do that, Yep. How many games? Are, how many games are the Red Sox out right now? Oh, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. It's football season. Why? What are we talking about? No, baseball no, no, for? no, no. Wait, wait a second. No, no. Don't, don't be hiding now. You can't be hiding behind the, uh, behind the microphone right now. Okay. <laughs> they're, they're only 103 games out. It's not that bad. They can, they can make a run at this thing. Okay. I know what you did too. You, my Yankees had three major injuries this week. You put the voodoo on them this week, didn't you? You, you did that. That was you. That was you that hey, did that. Hey, you, you guys with the curse of the Bambino for all of those years. We're giving you the oh, curse yeah, of the yeah, big yeah. poppy and, yeah. and, and yeah. getting your guys back. We, we owe you. But how about, how about all these injuries in sports this week? Seriously, between baseball and football. It's in, you, know, you talk about injuries in golf. I mean, you know, when have we seen this many quarterbacks go down in the same week with serious injuries? Right. Baseball players. And it's just, I, what are we doing? You know, we're, we're just stressing the body so much right now with so much speed. It's just, I mean, it's fun to watch, but we're, we're all getting hurt here all the time. Yeah. And, and like I say, to, to the earlier point, I think it's overuse. And uh, I think, yep. uh, you know, some of the stuff has, has to do with how well we're taking care of ourselves in the off season and nutrition and everything plays a role, you know, for, for every Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, there's a, now there's a Tom Brady, right? Guys that are doing it differently than anybody's ever done no, right, it in the no, past. And no. So kudos there's to that. that. Yeah, kudos. Great point. It's great point. Great point. Yep. Tom, let our listeners know how they can stay up to date with all the great things you do and uh, come see you down in Naples, get a, get a, you know, on your calendar to book a lesson and then uh, everything that you're putting out over social media. Yeah, Chris, thank you very much. First of all, you know, they can get to me certainly through TomPatry.com, which is my website. And then certainly all the social media outlets, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. I, I chase all those social media platforms every day. Um, as far as Naples is concerned, the lesson book is already open in Naples, and I've got some good news, bad news. Good news for me, bad news for some people. November is already sold out 100%, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, I'll be able to feed myself and my dogs and my wife, so that'll be good. And then uh, <laughs> December is about December is about 50% sold already. So if you want to get in in December, you got to get on your horse pretty soon. So and I'm and I'm not I'm not beating my chest, but it's just 
it's been great. I mean, Naples has been great to me, and the Esplanade has been great to me, and, and I'm, I'm very grateful for both that town and that and that club that I'm at. Um, but I am booking things all the way through May right now. So if anybody wants to come down and escape the cold weather, and I hope I hope Chris will come down to Naples finally this winter and we'll play some golf together. We better get we better get a date set soon. Tom, it's always a, a pleasure having you as part of the show. You make it so much fun. I can't thank you enough for being here again tonight and all the lessons that you shared and uh, and the great things that uh, you continue to do. I appreciate you, my friend. Well, you know, Chris, when you have guests on like Doc Jones and, and Lisa tonight and, and uh, Paul, the Paul Ramez of the world, and we can go on and on and on, all the great guests you have on the show and Gail Graham and and so many great guests with their talented people and, and really passionate people. And they come on your your podcast because we think the world of you. And uh, thank you for everything you do. And, and we, we I enjoy being on every time. And I, I'll do it until you put me in the box and put the dirt on top of me. So let's keep this thing going. <laughs> Absolutely. Can't wait. TP, have a great rest of your week. I look forward to catching up with you again in a couple of weeks, my friend. God bless you, pal. Thanks for having me on. See you, Tom. That's a great Tom Patry, P-A-T-R-I. TomPatry.com is his website. You can find him on uh, social media under at Tom Patry. Folks, like he said, in, in, uh, when you try to get down and try to get some time with him, do it now. Get on his calendar. Go on his website and book that thing. Because uh, as you've heard over the many weeks that we've had uh, Tom on the show, this, tonight was the 23rd time Tom has been a part of the show. So you've had a lot of opportunity to hear the great lessons and the great feedback that Tom has. Get on his calendar. Go see him. You're going to really benefit from it. Heck, I just got a lesson as we sat here and uh, probably changed my backswing. So if it can do a little bit for me, it'll probably do a little bit for you as well. Shave a couple of strokes and get you on the right track. I know that uh, hopefully I get the uh, the opportunity to go down and see him at Naples. Tom is absolutely a 10 times better person than he is a teacher and you've heard what a great teacher he is. All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the T. want to send out my thanks again tonight. Lisa Bluswick, Dr. Bob Jones, and Tom Patry for joining me. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net, to you know, check out our guest schedule, see who we've got coming on the show so you can check us out, and hopefully that's uh, on a weekly basis. Please take a look at us. We're on every you know podcasting site that we could possibly be on. We're on Podbean, we're on Spotify, we're on iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm, our good friends now on LaunchpadDM.com. Please go on there and click the subscribe button. We really appreciate that very much. Can't thank, again, our friends on Podbean. They're featuring us right there in their golf section. So kudos to them, and we thank them very much. And look, just if you like listening to podcasts across all genres, check out Podbean.com. Please uh, check out our, our Facebook page as well. So if you've got, if you go on our website and you look and see who our guests are going to be and you think to yourself, you know what? I would always love to have asked this person this question, or maybe it's an instructor that you have. You want to be able to say, Hey, look, I'm struggling with X and such. Can you get their feedback for me? I'll get the question on the air for you and, uh, and be glad to send it out to you. So please check us out on our Facebook page as well and give us a comment. That way you can uh, get your question to us. We re- we're glad to help you any way we can. Folks, we can't thank you enough for continuing to listen to this show and making us a weekly part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the G with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA pros and top instructors